Welcome back to the Corey M. Podcast and Project. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Jenny Beck Esme, and this week I'm joined again by Dee Coneybear, one of my co-third-year residents, in the second part of the two-part series on C-spine imaging. You may want to listen to the first podcast before diving into this one. And again, this is a very visual topic, so we encourage you to take a look at Dee's awesome post while listening. Dee, where do we start with, with C-spine injuries? So there are many ways of classifying C-spine injuries, and most of them are super confusing. The most simplified and clear way of classifying injuries I found so far is the scheme suggested by Dr. Schwartz. He separates out cervical cranial injuries and lower cervical spine injuries. This makes sense because C1 and C2 are specialized bones and they're very different from the lower cervical vertebra. The lower cervical spine injuries are often categorized by mechanism of injury. One thing I've realized while studying the subject is that C-spine injuries manifest as a spectrum and that for each potential mechanism there is a gradient of severity. There is a relatively finite list of cervical cranial injuries, but almost an infinite list of lower cervical spine injuries. So for the sake of time and for our own sanity, we will only go over some of the most unstable cervical uh, cranial and lower cervical spine injuries. For more detailed explanations and more comprehensive listings of injuries, we would recommend perusing through the radiology textbooks. Which I'm sure would be super exciting. <laughs> super, super fun to read. Okay. So cervical cranial injuries or injuries occurring in C1 and C2 are classified separately from lower cervical spine injuries. The lower cervical spine injuries are generally organized based on mechanism of injury. Exactly. Um, so first we'll go through the cervical cranial injuries first. I'm only including injuries in the C-spine and won't be talking about occipital condyle injuries, which are also obviously extremely unstable. So in the C-spine, we'll start again with C1 with the Jefferson burst fracture. The Jefferson fracture is a type of burst fracture and occurs when there is an axial load applied to a straightened cervical spine. The vertical force transmitted through the cranium basically crushes the ring of C1, causing fractures in both the anterior and posterior arches. The arches bursts outwards, uh, and because the fracture pieces are usually pushed away from the spinal cord, you may not appreciate immediate neurologic injury. In fact, there's usually no immediate neurologic injury or deficit. Uh, manifested. So on CT, if the transverse atlantal ligament is disrupted, there will be a widening of the atlantal dental interval seen on the sagittal slices. You can also see the lateral displacement of the lateral masses on the coronal views and the fracture size in the axial slices. And as a side note, burst fractures in the lower cervical spine would be seen as injury to the vertebral body. Okay, so Jefferson burst fractures occur during an axial load injury and fractures both the anterior and posterior arches of C1. I got it. So is that, that's the main C1 injury we need to know? Yeah, that's all I have for C1. Okay. Um, so we're just, uh-huh, go ahead. Well, so I just, this just came to me. Jefferson yeah. fractures are on C1, which is the top of the spine. So you can yeah. think of the Jeffersons and like moving on up to the east side, you know, the, the song for the Jeffersons. Yeah. So, you know, up, up, C1, Jefferson C1. Factors uh-huh. is the top one. Uh-huh. Moving up, I don't know, just a thought. Uh, moving up the chain. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> it is a little bit confusing because Jefferson's the third president. So, mm, but no, but but no. but stick wrote, with television shows. Uh, yeah. Okay, we'll stick with television shows. All right. So moving on to C two. So there are two notable injuries in C two. The the Dunn's fractures and the Heyman's fracture, um, which is also known as the traumatic spondylolisthesis of the axis, which is hard to say, so we'll just stick with Heyman's. Um, <laughs> so the Dunn's fractures are caused by a combination of various mechanisms and are, are actually pretty straightforward to identify on CT. So the type 2 and type 3 Dunn's fractures are the ones we care about. Type 2 Dunn's fractures occur when the base of the dens is broken and does not affect the vertebral body, whereas in type 3, the fracture line extends across the vertebral body. We'll be able to see these fracture lines pretty prominently on both the sagittal and coronal slices. The Heyman's fracture is a little bit more exciting and has actually a really messed up history. Totally messed up. Yeah, totally messed up. So back in the day when we used to hang people, the simple noose around the neck wasn't quite sufficient to cause immediate death. And the victim often died of asphyxiation, which to many people's dismay took way too long. To remedy this, a special apparatus was created to hyperextend the neck to form the quote ideal lesion so that a person being hung would die immediately. You can read Dr. Schwartz's book to find more disturbing details and see a depiction of this very lovely (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, today we no longer hang people, but sadly this fracture pattern can still be seen in patients who are involved in high-speed motor vehicle collisions in which their face hits the windshield and their neck is hyperextended and compressed, breaking both of the C2 neural arches. And the weakest point of the C2 neural arch is through the pars interarticularis or the isthmus that connects the superior and inferior articular facets. This factor pattern can be appreciated on all three views of CT. And depending on the degree of displacement, we can see the disruption of the anterior and posterior cervical line with anterolisthesis or anterior slippage of the C2 vertebral body. Okay, so just to summarize, we care about type 2 and type 3 dens fractures, with type 2 fracturing the base of the dens and type 3 fracturing through the C2 vertebral body. In a hangman's fracture, the mechanism is of compressive hyperextension that we see in high-speed MVCs with the fracture line through the bilateral neural arches of C2 with anterior slippage of the C2 vertebral body seen in the sagittal slices. So that was a perfect summary. And those are the major injuries we would be worried about in the cervical cranium in C1 and C2. Okay, so what about the lower cervical spine? How do we go about thinking through the injuries of C3 through C7? The classification of the lower cervical spine can be organized based on mechanism of injury. There are two major ways we can hurt ourselves. Um, We can flex our neck too much or extend it too much. On top of flexion and extension, we also often experience simultaneous compressive and distractive forces. So the four major mechanisms of injuries are distractive flexion, compressive flexion, distractive extension, and compressive extension. And obviously, because there are other ways we can move our necks, we can also 
injure it in many other ways, such as axial load, lateral bending, and rotational forces. Most injuries are the result of a combination of forces or a sequence of forces, but today we'll just focus on some of the more unstable injuries uh, sustained through major mechanisms associated with classic neurologic manifestations. Okay, so four major mechanisms, compressive flexion, distractive flexion, compressive extension, and distractive extension, with the caveat that there are many other mechanisms that can contribute to each presentation. Got it. Okay, so for the lower cervical spine, we'll just start with the flexion teardrop fracture, which is caused by the compressive flexion force, uh, often seen in divers as they dive into a shallow body of water. And in this injury, all the ligamentous structures, including the intervertebral discs, are disrupted, causing the two vertebral bodies to clash against one another. The superior vertebral body is crushed and broken into many pieces. There is also retrolesthesis, or posterior displacement of the broken vertebral body. This can be best seen on the sagittal slices with disruption of the posterior cervical line. Also on the sagittal slice, we'll see a small piece um, that's broken off in the anterior inferior corner of the superior vertebral body resembling a teardrop. Um, it's kind of a poetic name, actually. And the classic neurologic injury associated with this fracture is anterior cord syndrome. So the posteriorly displaced vertebral body will injure the anterior aspect of the spinal cord, causing quadriplegia with loss of pain, touch, temperature, but proprioception will be intact. Flexion teardrop fractures are caused by compressive flexion forces. We see fracturing and retrolithesis of the superior vertebral body, and this is associated with an anterior cord syndrome. Exactly. Um, and now we're going to move on to an even scarier injury uh, of, <laughs> of bilateral interfacetal dislocation. And this is, again, a purely uh, ligamentous injury with no fractures, but has disruptions of all the ligamentous structures causing anterior displacement of the articular pillars. In fact, all three columns are displaced anteriorly. The only upside is a fun CT finding of the reverse hamburger sign on the axial slices. The hamburger sign? I love the hamburger sign. That's my favorite sign. And now they're going to turn it upside down and make it something bad. Can you remind us again what the regular hamburger sign is? <laughs> sure. It's uh, a little spatially confusing. So the hamburger sign is seen in the normally aligned facet joint on the axial cuts with the top bun being the superior articular surface of the bottom vertebra. And the bottom bun is the inferior articular surface of the top vertebra. In the bilateral interfacetal dislocations, the top articular facet slips over the bottom articular facet, so the hamburger buns switch places. Now the bottom bun is anterior to the top bun, and the hamburger buns appear inverse on the axial cuts. Okay, bilateral inversed burger buns on the axial slices are a bad sign of bilateral interfacetal dislocation where all ligamentous structures are disrupted and the vertebral body slips anteriorly. Yeah, and most of the time, the anterolisthesis of the vertebral body is more than 50% of the vertebral body diameter, and this often results in complete spinal cord syndrome at this level of injury. Yikes, inversed burger buns are definitely bad news. 
And the last one we'll talk about today has a more subtle CD, CT finding, the hyperextension dislocation, also known as hyperextension sprain. And this is caused by distractive extension, such as when you slip and fall and hit your chin on the edge of the sink. Um, this causes, again, disruption of all the ligamentous structures, in addition to some of the anterior muscles of the neck. There is Again, retrolisthesis of the vertebral body. However, this is not always seen as the vertebral body can be actually reduced by the time imaging is obtained. The key to identifying extension injuries in general on CT is anterior widening of the intervertebral disc space on the sagittal slices. There is also often diffuse prevertebral swelling due to injury. The retrolisthesis of the vertebral body, even if transient, pushes the spinal cord against the ligamentum flavum and cause central cord syndrome. This often manifests as loss of motor and sensation in the upper extremities. Okay, so hyperextension dislocation causes injury to all the ligamentous structures and retrolithesis of the vertebral body associated with central cord syndrome. While the posterior displacement of the vertebral body may not be evident, there should be some anterior disc widening. Is that right? Per precisely. Okay. So, D, can you wrap this up for us with a few take-home points regarding C-spine injuries? So you may not be able to recall all the specifics of each injury, but in general, the important thing to remember is one, pay special attention to C1 and C2, and two, go through each view systematically. And so in one, the cervical cranial injuries can result in very unstable and potentially fatal injuries without manifesting with initial neurologic deficits. Conversely, some of the lower cervical spine injuries may not have significant obvious findings on CT, but may present with profound neurologic deficits, such as in the hyperextension dislocation injury. So go through each view systematically with the ABCs with special attention to C1 and C2. Great. Thanks so much for joining me, Dee. That's all for the Corey M podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreym.net, where we've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up this Wednesday on radial head fractures and a journal update on Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site. Visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks and see you all next week.